Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Uh, here we go then with my uh, guests, Neil Channing. There we go, they're in. They're in. I was getting worried there for a minute. Uh, Simon Knott and Lizzie Kelly. We'll start with Native River. Little bit of a pet project in mind if you've been following me on Twitter this week. Two minutes starting now. Should this horse run in the Grand National, Lizzie Kelly? I think they should. Um, I think that he's an amazing jumper and um, he's got the sort of bit of class, well, a lot of class that you need uh, nowadays for a, for a Grand National. And um, his run at Newbury was, you know, great to watch. Mm. like heartwarming because it was just... Um, lovely to watch him and John Joe sort of in such a lovely rhythm. And um, no, I, I I think I would probably run him in it if he was mine. Simon? Yes, yeah, so any popular horse that goes in the races makes it even more popular, doesn't it? So um, it's got to be good for racing. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously it slightly depends on what happens at Chilton, doesn't it, really? I mean, is it, doesn't it want a bit of dig in the ground these days? I mean, I, I would He'll get digging the ground at yeah, Atrium, that there's no doubt. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, like, I'm... I think I'd probably like him more in the Grand National than the the Gold Cup. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. so you'd have you'd happily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. National. Why not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no problem with that at all. And yeah. his current market, well, the rating he's been a loss in the Grand National mm. makes him competitive. And we could throw Bristol Domain into the mix as well, couldn't we? In a similar vein. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Similar sort of. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think, I think these old horses, um, for me. The Grand National gives them an opportunity to sort of, you know, enjoy. You know, if they take to the fences, they can absolutely love it, and I think it sort of rejuvenates them. I'm a big fan of the cross country races for the same reason. So, um, yeah, I'm 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 very pro sort of using those fences to, you know, keep horses excited and interested in what they're doing. And you find that does work? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I think um, I think the cross country is. Despite the fact that a lot of people don't like it, I think that actually, in terms of keeping horses racing for longer, which is what we all want, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think it's a really good, a really good opportunity. There we are then. That was Native River. Uh, Toe guarantee. We talked about this last week, but given the fact we've got Neil here and Simon here, I thought it would be best to revisit it. This is the notion, Neil, that the mm. new tote will guarantee that you are not paid out below the SP. So how yeah. that's going? How's that going to change the betting landscape, the on-course betting landscape? Oh, Will it change it that much? I mean, it's. A, I, I think it's quite a good offer. I did read somewhere that you know the kind of uh, rake back uh, kickbacks that they give in South Africa and they've done in the past, which which are probably bad in terms of betting ecology and haven't been good for totes as a general thing. And I understand, uh, you know, why they haven't gone down that route. Uh, but that works out slightly better for punters than this, apparently. Um, I think, from a small punter point of view, it's got to be quite appealing, hasn't it? I mean, you know, the, the takeouts in totes traditionally have always been a bit too high, and that's meant that if you bet horses under 10 to 1 generally, you're worse off on the tote than if you just took SP. Whereas if you bet horses at sort of over 20 to 1, you know, you're generally going to be slightly better off on the tote. Uh, and that's slightly due to the long shot favourite bias, which you know the exchanges have really highlighted. Because now, if you bet something that's SP kind of twenty-five to one on the machine, it's going to be like eighty-nine to one on Betfair or something like that. So, to an extent, it's a way of competing 
you know, if they if they were only competing with SP, it's quite a good offer. But if they're competing with the exchanges, it's quite hard. I don't know. I I, I still struggle to see the tote ever really getting a proper foothold. What do you think, Simon? Well, I think it's very important to have a strong tote as a you know to to combat the, the on course bookmakers. But rather than just guarantee that they're going to match the SP, maybe they should. Be, as comp- be more competitive, so their takeout should be less. Bookmakers, if you work out what they bet to on course through the course of a live race, it's probably nothing at the best at the best prices. So if they want to be competitive, they need to take their margins, their takeout margins down. Then they probably won't have to artificially boost it. Let's talk about Kempton Park again. Um, now, somebody wrote a column in the Racing Post on Tuesday about Kempton. I saw you've got yourself a column there. Well one, done. One, week, o- one week only. One oh, week that only. it? I thought guest, another guest, it, the, the clue was where it said guest columnist. Oh, I see. At the top. I, I thought it was a trial to see if you were any good. <laughs> How did I get on? I thought you did all right, actually. Right, so what did you think then, Kempton? So the, point, the, the fundamental point is this. Now that Kempton appears to have been granted a bit of a stay of execution mm. and there is a housing development... Uh, of a smaller nature being proposed to allow races to continue. What should Joy Club Racecourses do with it in terms of marketing it, promoting it, pushing it forward into the next generation? And indeed, can they? And make it a, make it a, a great place to go racing. You should ask Lizzie that. All your best days have come at Kempton. Yeah, so obviously I'm a massive Kempton fan. Um, I think that it's slightly unfortunate that obviously they have the biggest day on Boxing Day and there are hordes of people... Um, that go and then you go the following day for the second day and it's you know like a ghost town um, appreciate it's a difficult time of year because there's a lot of other things going on but I think um, now that it has obviously been given an opportunity to stay that really there should be a huge amount of effort that goes in to making sure that it, you know it's a it's a good thing and it works well for for them um, and, and you know, I, I, I mean, I don't really know. We're always on about how do we get more people to go racing. I think that Kempton has, you know, beautiful track and good facilities oh. and, you know, a lovely paddock and good viewing and things like that. So, you know, there are a huge amount of bonuses about Kempton. And, I mean, really, the question is why, why, was, it ever, why was it ever in a position where it may not have continued racing there? No, that's because, it, because it stood to be too valuable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I mean, it's as valuable as it is, you know, for for the people within our community. Um, so I, I hope they put their, you know, put as much effort into it as they can. Yeah, I hope it can remain valuable to the local community as well as it can be to the racing community and become a really important asset to both. Let's talk about starts because Julian Muscat revisited this subject in his column in the Racing Post this week. And he really said that the onus is on jockeys not to mess this up the first time so we don't get the unsatisfactory spectacle of what happened in the Betfair hurdle. Um, there's only one of us sitting here who has, A, won a Betfair hurdle and, B, or A, being a jockey, is a jockey and, B, won a Betfair hurdle. So uh, you've got a better perspective than any of us on this. Yeah, look, I, the starts are uh, organised... You know, the way that they are done is organised by the BHA... Um, we get an opportunity to just start the first time, but you're not allowed to go in in any more than a, a, a trot or jig jog. Um, and then the second time is a standing start. I think that a lot of jockeys would agree that the standing start is probably unfortunate that that's the next option. I think mm-hmm. you should probably be able to go back and try again once more before you have a standing start. I think it's 
very, very... It's these races, it's Betfair hurdles and races like this where there are the most problems because they're a cavalry charge. Mm. Everyone wants to be at the front. If you're not at the front, then your race is, you know, over sometimes. That would be the, it. The standing start is kind of a it's kind of a punishment, isn't it? It's a punishment to everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Because of, yeah. Because of the transgressions yes, of exactly. not everybody. Yeah. So, you know, like, is there a way that they can... Would it be better if they just punished the people, you know, whether it's a fine or a tiny ban or something like yeah, that? Yeah, I think they... And, and carried on with a normal start, but said if you did charge the tape or whatever... You know, you're going to get one day or two days. Yeah, or I mean, you like say that. that but let, let's look at like classical dream in the uh, Supreme at Charnham last mm, year, mm. where he broke the tape. Yeah, I mean, that's not Ruby Wash's fault. No, you, know, you no, can't no. say right. Well, you're now going to have a fine because your horse broke the tape because actually it was going along with its headlong ground. Sure, and you couldn't stop it. Um, I do think that I think for me the standing option should be a later option. I think there's, we ought to have something in between. I mean, from a punter's point of view, I think the standing start is just totally unsatisfactory and, and a, it's a right nuisance, but I don't really see what they can do about it. it, it they need to have some kind of penalty to stop mm. people from trying to, you know, nick a bit at the start. And I take your point, sometimes it's not the jockey's fault or the, you know, the horses are just a bit headstrong and Absolutely, we're dealing yeah. with animals. Absolutely, yeah. we are, exactly. We are dealing with animals that are primed for that mm. six minutes of their life might, next. Might just be worth worth reviewing, worth revisiting, at any rate, the uh, the way that the standing start comes in as the as the next sanction, which was initially agreed to by the PJA when the BHA brought it in a few years ago, and which has largely worked quite effectively. Um, Kevin Tobin next. This was a really important piece of work by Lee Mottisad in the Racing Post at the back end of the week where Kevin Tobin poured his heart out to him and said how close he'd been to taking his own life uh, when, when he was a jockey. And it was a very powerful piece of writing and particularly uh, poignant and in, important in the, in the wake of the very sad loss of, of James Banks uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, it's something we talked about quite a bit on on this program. How, as a as a professional sports person, you you keep your head in the right place, Lizzie, and and try and um, try and take yourself away from sort of outside influences that can get you too high or, or, or too low. It was a it was a, a very instructive piece of work. I thought. Yeah, I thought that the um, article was, you know, beautifully written and 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 sort of opened up. Uh, the conversation and and what jockeys are going through um, for you know for people to understand, I think that it's very easy in our jobs to you know be thri- you know buzzing off a winner one minute and then you know going down into the depths when it doesn't go very well and the nature of the game is very up and down um, and I think the statistics that about mental health within the weighing room are, are quite frightening. I couldn't tell you what they are, but the, you know they're not great. Uh, the percentage of jockeys that you know they think have got depression, um, and then also you pair that up with suicide being the biggest killer of you know males under is it forty five? You know, so that's it's not a very nice combination when you're looking around the weighing room. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that you know what what Kevin Tobin did was very brave, and I thought. The fact that he, you know, said that I want to say this so that other people who may be feeling the same can 
you know, go and get some help. And I think that a lot of work was done by the PJA, you know, in this regard, and, and hopefully things things can improve. Yeah, hear, hear. Um, I know that Simon wants to talk a little bit about, about social media, an outlet yep. which has been very kind to you, yep. less kind to, to others. It seems particularly newsworthy at, at present. Um, what did you want to say? It's, it's just, it's sort of like an, especially Twitter, like an unregulated Wild West, really. I mean, anybody can open an account, spur all sorts of lies, um, insinuations, you know, and de- basically really, really bully people. Uh, totally anonymity. I mean, the, the fact that they're allowed to do it to start off with it, this, you know, the accounts out there that parody somebody else, but they don't actually let, know that they're a parody. They change one letter, and, you know, somebody on Twitter, can, and then they come out with a tweet that makes the person they're trying, you know, they're looking like look like an idiot. There's a few I won't mention on on there, you know, that are victims of mm-hmm. it. Um, there's no, there doesn't seem to be any, you know, if you tweet something up that fringes, infringes copyright, you're gone in, in a day. But if you put total lies about somebody under an anonymous handle, nothing seems to be able to be done about it. You know, it's, um, and a lot of people just laugh it off. I mean, most people don't care. But some people doing it. They're talking about the previous, you know, the, the previous subject. I mean, something like that can tip somebody over the edge. And it's all seems like a lot of fun for the people that are doing it, wherever they are. Must be quite sad cases, but you know, to me, it's Twitter can be a great place. It's also very full of very yeah. sad people. Yeah, because in a sense, it it's been a great benefit to you. Absolutely. It's been a great benefit yep. to, to us. It's been, it can be a great benefit to to all sorts of people who want to promote their businesses. Jockeys likewise. But you've got yeah. to be prepared that there are people out there who yeah, I, I definitely think are that, being given a voice who shouldn't have a voice. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, everyone's entitled to, to their opinion. And I think if, you know, someone wants to um, tweet me with, you know, maybe a not particularly nice comment about a ride, I've given a horse or whatever, you know, it's it that's up to them and that's up to the jockey to, to sort of deal with that as they wish. Some people don't mind it so much some people retweet it and but i think people aren't particularly aware of the fact that what they say through twitter you know is incredibly harmful and um you know with the recent news of sort of celebrities that you know can't haven't handled it and and, and have had serious mental health issues as a result you know, it's really terrifying i think that people ought to sort of take a minute that actually your comment about someone's ride might mean nothing to you, but you know the person that you're commenting it to might, you know, might be really harmful. I would, just on the celebrity issue. I mean, I, I know. I mean, obviously, you, I don't disagree with anything you two just said, but you, yeah, I, I've noticed that since last night, quite a lot of people trying to put the blame onto social media. Mm. Uh, you know seem to be skating over the fact that the tabloid press are the biggest scum in existence. I, I, actually, I, that, that might be a bit unfair. Maybe I should say the Murdoch press uh, and the Daily Mail. I mean, like, you know, to me, a woman has just been killed by, you know, the, the glitterati uh, showbiz celebrity press. And uh, I don't think it's social media that did that job. Let's move away and move on to um, I headlines as ITV bookies. Essentially, it's the notion that bookmaker advertising may yet be coming under threat again with no ITV, or, ITV deal signed. I'm sure we all keep saying we're sure it'll happen at some point, but it hasn't happened yet. 
And the last thing they need is the threat of bookmaker advertising being withdrawn again, which you know, reared its head a few years ago. Uh, mm. Where are we at, do you think, in terms of government and you know, vote winning and the sort of public appetite for gambling adverts? Where do you think we're at? You, you read the, uh, the political runes on this. How, yeah. how realistic do you think it is that, Beth, that racing will fall victim to a blanket advertising I mean, I guess, uh, you know, personally, I, I don't see a lot of upside in the Tories getting elected, but um, I guess... We've done a whole show on this. Uh, I guess the, uh, uh, you know, the Labour Party probably, you know, with, if, if Tom Watson as deputy and, you know, one or two other backbench MPs probably slightly had it in more for racing mm. and betting than than the Tories do. And I kind of feel like there's less appetite uh, on the government benches to uh, to really kind of be so involved in you know responsible gambling or any, any anything like that so uh, I, I, I kind of feel they're going to be quite light touch with the industry um, so so you wouldn't be but having said that I, having, having said that I think the industry is definitely starting to realize that you know over fobties they made mm. a huge number of mistakes and uh, they probably need to think about getting their own house in order but, a little bit. But the equation here, Simon, is quite simple. If there is no bookmaker advertising allowed within horse racing programmes, then the likelihood is that there will be a lot of mm -hmm. horse racing disappearing from terrestrial well, television. Horse racing is funded by people betting, isn't it, largely? Yeah. I mean, since when did bookmaking become stigmatised? It's a legitimate um, business that's been running in the country for years. You know, all of a sudden, it seems to be a, a dirty word. It's not like smoking. It's not like drinking too much. OK, some people do have problems, and it, there's a lot of help out there for them, and the gamble, you know, the, the, the um, awareness campaigns are out there. But it is legitimate business that funds racing. So if racing wants to wash its hands of gambling, who's going to fund them? Well, it's not a question of racing washing, washing its hands of gambling. It's a question of the government yeah, saying to gambling, yeah. you, can't, you can't advertise during a racing programme. But uh, I think we must hope that that, that doesn't. Uh, that doesn't become the case. Those were this week's talking points and probably next week's and the weeks after and the week after <laughs> all the way till Cheltenham. Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Albasti Equiworld Dubai.